0: This morning's scripture reading will be from Mark chapter 14. We'll be be reading 3 through 9. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence, and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will ye may do good to them. But, But me ye have not always. She had done what she could. She had come aforehand to anoint my body with the with burying. Verily, I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of, be spoken of, of for a memorial of her.
1: Well, it is good to see everyone this morning. Our numbers are getting better. We're getting back to more, back to normal. It's so good to see Tyler. You know, anytime we can get uh, uh, help to keep an eye on Julie, hey, you know, we need it. And so we're glad Tyler's here to help keep an eye on, uh, on her. You know, when you when you begin to have children, you kind of lose your identity. I remember when When Taylor and Alexandria began to play basketball when they were little over in Crossville, you you became Taylor and Alexandria's daddy, you know. You go pick them up or you're sitting in the stands watching them. Well, you're Taylor and Alexandria's daddy. Well, now, you know, uh, and at first maybe uh, that might be a little bothersome. never really bothered me, but then you begin to have grandchildren and you kind of want to be Well, you're Warren's pops, aren't you? Absolutely. You know, don't call me by my name. Call me by my real name, right? That's what it is. So uh, we're happy to have uh, Warren's other grandparents with us today, Randall and Lori, and and also Anna Marie. Now, Anna Marie has a special place. See, she is uh, Warren's great aunt. Well, now, wait a minute. That's a special place because, see, I had this great aunt one time, and I asked her, I said, Why are you, because I knew I had some aunts floating around and some uncles and stuff. I said, uh, and I always loved it when she came down from Dayton, Ohio. I just looked forward to that. She came down a couple times a year, and I said, Loretta, why are you my great aunt? She said, son, I am great. And and she was, boy. (laughs) She let me do whatever I wanted. She brought stuff. You know, I just looked forward to her showing up. It was party time every time. And all the time when she came, you know. And so uh we're glad that they are with us today and, and Warren's a little sick today and his uh, his uh the doctor said that he can't be around a whole lot of folks and we wanna share him, but we're gonna to have to share him today from a distance and so uh uh he can't be uh passed around any today and we appreciate that, but uh he's got a little bit of something going on and uh we don't know exactly what all's going on, but uh he got something going on so uh you know, we're going to stay away from him. But anyway, we appreciate that. <clears throat> a businessman was traveling in a, a foreign country one time, and it was a rural country. And uh, he had a, a, a gentleman driving driving him around and translating for him. And, and they were going down this, uh, what was supposed to be a road, and uh, he looked out and he saw uh, a man behind... Uh, a plow, holding on to to a plow, and you know, usually you have some kind of an animal hanging on to the other end, or it was attached to the other end of that, and there was a a younger man pulling that plow, and he thought that was odd. And so he said, stop stop the car here. So he got out and he took a picture of that, and he said, what's going on here? He said, well, you see, those two men over there are Christians, and... uh, they had some kind of a natural disaster, and it, and it destroyed their church building. And, and these men, it's a, it's a father and a son, and they happened to have an ox. And so they sold their ox, and they took that money, and they gave it to the church, and, and they helped to rebuild the building of their church. He said, really? He said, that must have been a real sacrifice for them. He said, well, you know, that's not how they looked at it. They just looked at it. They said, you know, we are so glad that we have an opportunity and that we had an ox that we could sell and give to the church so that we could help to rebuild this, uh, this church building. And uh, the man got back in the car and, and he went on their way. And, and uh, when he got home, he took that picture to the congregation where he was a member, and he told them about that. And then he began to talk to them a little bit about that, and he said, you know, uh, I've, never, uh, I've never made a real sacrifice. I've never really done that in my life. He said, you know, I'm going to increase my giving to the church and do some plow work, because up until now... I've never given anything to God that really involved a real sacrifice. I've never really given anything that, that got to the level of, I really missed it. What I gave was really out of the abundance of what I had. And it never really involved a real sacrifice. And, and I read that illustration and it kind of brought me to Mark 14, 3-9. And I began to think about that, and I I began to look over at some things in my life, and I thought, have I ever given anything that kind of (laughs) hurt? Because, you know, when you think of a sacrifice, aren't you supposed to feel a sacrifice? Are you supposed to feel it? or is it out of the abundance of what you have and you don't really miss it do you remember the the in the in the temple when the when the widow threw in her mite and the lord asked about who gave more and you had all these rich people giving money and giving money and giving money and and he said look they gave out of their abundance you know what that means they didn't miss it and then the, the lady gave the mite. I don't know what a mite equals in our money. A penny? I don't even know if it equals a penny or not. A half a penny? A quarter of a penny? I don't know. But it's all she had. And so, but I thought about Mark fourteen three through 9, and I think that's the very kind of sacrifice that we read about in Mark 14. It's about a type of sacrifice which is supposed to be an identifying mark, in the lives of all Christians. Now, we're not talking about you go home and you sell your house and you sell all your cars and you load up every scrap of food you've got in your house and you go and you go live in in a, a borrowed refrigerator box under the overpass. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a sacrifice. When we look in the old law, a sacrifice was you go out to your flock and you don't give all the flock away. You go find the best one. And then you give that away. You still had a flock. You still had good food to eat. You still could trade and sell and sell off and make money. And you know, Abraham was still wealthy. But it's still a sacrifice. You still give the best one you had, right? It's that kind of sacrifice about what Paul spoke when he commanded Romans 12 verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I'm pleading with you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'm not asking you to do anything outlandish. I'm not asking you to do anything that's dangerous to your health, something that's going to put your family at risk. I'm not asking you to do anything that's foolish. I'm asking you to do something that's reasonable. It's... Your service to God, right? A sacrifice that continues to be given in a daily manner. Very unlike the sacrifices of the Old Testament where the sacrifice is killed. This is a sacrifice that is a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice that happens every single day. A sacrifice which meets God's standards and one which is suitable to offer to Him. You know, one of the problems that happened toward uh, the end of the the history of the, the Old Testament before we went into the dark period of time, the silent years, where Israel was was misbehaving, and they would go to get a sacrifice when they were still playing at, at, at uh, serving God, and they'd go out to the flock, and they'd say, well, there lays a, a calf or a, a lamb or something, and well, it's about to die anyway. Let's drag that thing over to the altar because it can't walk anyway. Let's just drag it on over there and we'll offer that because it's on its way out anyway. So we're about to kill it. So let's just go ahead and get it out of its misery. See, we're talking about something that is suitable to offer to God, right? That kind of sacrifice is a constant sacrifice. It's a dedication about lifestyle. That's what we're talking about. With all the Christians living energies and powers directed consciously towards God's service. That's what what we're speaking of this morning. If it is acceptable to God, it will be one that is true and proper. One that God has specified as being acceptable for Him, which therefore will be pleasing to Him. That's what we're aiming for, right? That's what we're reaching for. That's what we want to offer. If it's pleasing to Him, it ought to be really pleasing to us. Now in our passage, Jesus is close to giving Himself, ironically enough, as a sacrifice that is acceptable to get us to where we need to be. Right? Acceptable for humanity so humanity can... Find themselves in heaven. And as this account unfolds, a woman is expressing the depths of her love for the Savior of the world, her devotion to him by giving a very costly sacrifice. This thing is worth a whole lot of money physically speaking. Her sacrifice of love, though, is going to be condemned by some, but it is going to be uh, commended by Jesus. In fact, he told those around him she had done all she could. She did what was needed. She did what was needed. You know, a person that does all he or she can do is what is needed, right? And I think that's what's missing in the world today. People doing what is needed to be done. And her sacrifice is going to be remembered forever. It will never be forgotten. It will be held up as the example that we need to follow, will The title of the sermon this morning is She Did What Was Needed. And as we consider the text and her sacrifice, we can make the application in our lives today. And as we do that, we're going to examine three areas where this lady did what needed to be done. And I want us to begin with the area of sacrifice. That's our first point. Notice the gift found in verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now this ointment that she poured on the Lord's head was valued at 300 pence. Matthew, Mark, and John all specify the ointment was precious or pure nard, very costly. Now here's the thing, there were several degrees or or several grades of that type of ointment, and that ointment was imported from India. This was very special, it was hard to get a hold of, and the product based on its grade was a big factor in the cost. Now what we learned here, and uh, we can learn this through secular history, Pliny mentioned that there existed something called a pseudonard, Okay, if you couldn't afford the real stuff, you could go get this fake Nard or this pseudo Nard, which was inferior to the genuine stuff. Everybody couldn't afford the real thing, and so you could go out. We find that in, in a lot of things, right? You go to Walmart, you can't you can't afford the real stuff, or you're not willing to pay for the real stuff. What do you get? Well, when I go get some alcohol, I get the Equate brand. Okay, I'm not going to pay three times when I can get the Equate brand for whatever the other brand. Right? And so, that's what I do. That's not what this lady did. She had the real deal. She had this stuff that cost 300 pence. And because of the variety and grades of the ointment, the writers made very clear for us, Mary was anointing Jesus not with the inexpensive stuff, but with the expensive stuff. Right? In fact, the ointment was worth more than 300 pence or 300 denarii. That's probably the better translation. Now, a single denarius was about a day's wage for the time. I don't know now what the minimum wage is. If it's still $725, i am not sure. But this ointment in today's money was worth about $15,000. $15,000. That's a lot of money. She goes out to wherever she was storing this. She gets this alabaster box. She breaks it. Now, this information is important because the complaint the disciples make was about to be revealed about their character. They're concerned about something they shouldn't be concerned about. In fact, they're kind of sticking their nose where it doesn't belong, but it also tells us something about Mary's love, right? This was a financial sacrifice on her part. She's giving up a fortune. She's giving up a fortune that she has and I don't know that she has anything else. The box itself, the box itself was a type of marble, very expensive. She broke the box. She poured it on over his head. John added that she she poured it on his feet, wiped his feet with the hair of her head. She's taking care of the Lord. Her sacrifice was costly. But Mark explained that some were grieved because of her gift. I don't know what they're thinking. This is the Lord of the world. He's about to give Himself. He wrote in verse 4, Some had indignation among themselves, complaining Mary's action was wasteful, and the money from the sale of the ointment. Now listen to this could have been put to better use. What better use could it have been used for? John specified that Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples that should betray him, John 24 John 12:4, was especially vocal in the complaint. Of course, we know all about Judas. He was the treasurer because he kept the money bag. He was covetous of the money. He was greedy. He would like to have had the the equal of 15000 in today's money. He certainly would have liked to have had a year's wage. He wanted that money. However, what does it mean to expend something in waste? It's to do it thoughtlessly or carelessly, right? It's to do it frivolously, not to pay any attention to the outcome. There was nothing thoughtless or careless about Mary's actions. She knew exactly what she was doing. She, for a purpose, got the alabaster box full of the ointment, broke it, anointed his head, anointed his feet, wiped his feet with the hair of her head. You know, when we consider our financial sacrifices, we are to do it thoughtfully and to carefully consider what those sacrifices are to be. I remember when I was a child, I would sit in church. When we started going to church, we weren't anything for years, and we would sit in church, and I can remember seeing people, and I didn't think much about it, but as is tradition, we'd observe the Lord's Supper, and then we would take a collection, and I can't tell you the times I've seen people jerk up a pocketbook or, or or go to grab a wallet when... Uh, uh, the plate comes by like they had forgotten and then start rifling through something to try to grab some money out. Is that the way it's supposed to be? No, you are to purpose in your heart. That means plan ahead, right? What are we going to do? What what is my sacrifice to God supposed to be? When we consider our financial sacrifices, we're to be thoughtful, careful, careful in determining what that sacrifice to God is to be. Notice what Paul commanded. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. What does that mean? Have it ready. Be prepared, right? Now, within the context, this is talking about that gift to send to Jerusalem for the saints who were in need. But this is a weekly thing that the church is commanded to do. As God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. In his second letter, he told the Corinthians, But I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And you know what God expects? He wants it right off the top. He wants the first fruits. He wants the best. He doesn't want the calf or the lamb that's about to die already. He wants the best out of the flock. That has never changed. I make, he wants it before the taxes, in other words, right? I make X amount of dollars a year. I want it off the top. That's what God expects because He is the one who has provided it to us. He deserves it. He's not greedy. God doesn't spend money. But that's what He expects. It's for our benefit, right? The sacrifice is for the person's benefit. It's better to give than it is to receive. That's what God understands, right? We see those intents in the actions of Mary. She purposed to sacrifice a costly gift. Who did that benefit more? Christ or Mary. It benefited Mary, didn't it? It benefited her greatly and she did it with a heart of happiness because she had an opportunity to do it. Therefore, when we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith, Galatians chapter 6. All of us need to look into ourselves as we offer sacrifices to God, don't we? We could all probably do better from time to time and and determine whether we're pleased to offer what we've offered. Did it Was it proper? Were we grieved when we did it? You know, were we grieved? I've probably been grieved from time to time when I've offered a gift to God. I don't know, I'm sure I was. If I was, I was wrong. I probably could do better in the past than what I have done. You know, I hope I have done better. But we need to sit down and consider what we can do, right? We need to look into ourselves. We need to keep in mind our sacrifices, though, go beyond the financial. It's not just financial. And I think some people misunderstand that. They think, well, if I give X amount of dollars, then that's I've got it covered. That's not, it's not financial. The writer of Hebrews, and this is where I mess up a lot of the time. The writer of Hebrews reminded his readers... By Him therefore, Hebrews 13 begin with 15, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. I have to watch myself. I was doing it earlier. I get so caught up. And getting ready to step in the pulpit. I want to make sure my sermon is what it ought to be. You know what I find myself doing? I'm looking through what I've got when I'm supposed to be singing. I'm sure Carl has caught me doing that. And finally, I said, What am I doing? I had to just set my Bible down and make sure I'm on the right page, get my mind straight. I'm supposed to be offering the sacrifice of the fruit of my lips, paying attention to the words. What am I singing? There's 40 of us in here. How many of are in here? That, we ought to be able to make a joyful noise with that many folks. Right? Let's lift up our voices and sing to God and offer the fruit of our lips in praise to Him. That's part of our sacrifice. Let's do it. And I was just doing the opposite of that for the first song that we were singing. I said, what what am I doing? I know better than that. And so I said, look, that's another part of worship. I need to focus on what I'm doing here. Focus. God expects this sacrifice at this time. Let me do that. We need to pay attention. We worship God as we sing. Pay attention to the words. What am I saying? As we pray, we've got a brother who is willing to stand up in front of us to lead us in prayer. Let's listen to that. Let him lead us in prayer, right? We've got a brother willing to lead us in song. I've said all along, I was talking to to a couple of brothers yesterday, I said, that's the hardest job in the building. Let's encourage those brethren for sure. Let them lead us in song. And we worship God as we preach the Word. Let's all get what we can out of it, right? Let's do do our best. And like Mary, let's do what we can in our sacrifice to God. Let's do what is needed. Let's do what is needed. The lady of Mark 16 did what, she, what was needed in the area of sacrifice, and she did what she was needed in the area of service. That's important too. Jesus expressed the depth of her service to him. He simply said that she had done everything within her power. That's the thing, right? Well, so-and-so does more. Well, that's what's within their power. That's what's within their power. Someone else doesn't have that ability. Someone else can't do that. Someone else does what's within their power, right? The expression what what she could is a reference to all she possessed. She did all she could do. She, She can't do more than that. She can't do more than that. You know, some people can make a phone call. Some people can send a card. You know, some people have the ability to lead a congregation in prayer or to lead a song or to preach or teach a class. Listen, you know I was talking with a brother the other day. You know sometimes we need to step out of our comfort zone and help a congregation out. You know, you got two or three men doing everything. That's not what we need. You know, that's not what we need. Let's step out of our comfort zone and let's do something. Let's step out and work hard. The expression what she could means all she possessed. She gave it all. You know in the sporting in the sporting world, you have a football game and you know and I miss sports, boy, I'll tell you that. Because I've just about quit it all. But you hear the turns, boy, they left it all on the field, or they did this, or they did that. That's what this lady did. She gave it all. She gave it all. There were just many things Mary could not do for Jesus. But when she anointed his head with a box of costly ointment, she gave him all she had, all she possessed. She did it. She did it. Her service was absolute, and that's what God expects from us. He expects absolute service. Not more than we can give, but all we can give. That's what kind of service he expects. Not more, but all. Whether, whether we do it or not, that's what he expects. And, and when presented with an opportunity of service, Mary took full advantage of that. At once. At once. She didn't say, well, I'll try it next time. Look, she just did it. She just did it. She just did it. And he loved her for it, right? He loved her for it. I don't know anyone... Who would ignore an opportunity to serve Jesus in that way? Do You, if He were here before us, if somehow He could be in our presence physically, I don't know a person who would, who would not do exactly what she did. Think about that. If He could sit on the front row, you couldn't get the people in this building. They'd be wrapped around it from here to Knoxville and further. It would be on the front row with him, right? In a fist fight, probably, trying to, trying to uh, keep other people from getting our spot. But guess what? He's here with us. And I'm sitting three rows back, not paying attention. What well, ought to be seen? He expects all we can give at the appropriate time. That's a lesson in itself, isn't it? We need to pay attention. He's not going to profess us before the Father if we can't profess Him properly before the world. Right? We need to think about that. We need to think about that. It's clear that Jesus expects from us what he expressed about Mary. He expects that, right? To serve is a trademark of Christianity. It always has been. That is one of the reasons the, miss- the missionary societies of long ago and other organizations formed to offer assistance to people are wholly unscriptural. That is supposed to be done by the Christian and by the local congregation. We don't need to, to form a society and let some society get credit for what God's supposed to get credit for. Right? We're not supposed to institutionalize anything and so, so a, 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 Christian, a Christian can sit back and say, well, the, you know, let's, let's let the society do it. No, no, not at all. That's not what Mary did. That's what we're supposed to do. We serve so that honor and glory can be given to God, not an organization. And, we, and sometimes we're guilty of institutionalizing the church because uh, sometimes Christians will say, well, let's let the church do that. The church will take care of that. Really? We are the church. We're the church. Yeah, okay, the church will take care of it because we'll take care of it, right? We'll take care of it. Then we need to get busy taking care of it. The Lord's church has been tasked with serving not just her members, but anyone who is legitimately in need. And we need to make sure that we understand that. Paul commanded, and we've mentioned this before, Galatians chapter 6 just a few moments ago, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those uh, uh, unto them who are of the household of faith, verse 10. Therefore, when we serve others, we're serving God, right? And we, and, and we see that uh, particularly in Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Uh, you give them drink, you give them meat, and uh, someone says, well, Lord, when did I see you naked? When did I see you in prison? When did I do this? When did I do that? Well, when you did it to the lowliest of them, you did it to me. We need to understand that, right? Uh, listen again to the words as he defended Mary against the thief Judas. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has, did a, she has done a good work for me. She's done a good work for me. We need to do those good works for Jesus. And we do that by doing it for other folks. Properly, right? We do it in the form of service. Like that lady, Jesus expects us to do those good works. We need to get busy doing that. However, it's important to understand we're not doing good works for Jesus unless we surrender to Him. That's our third in her final point. And that's what Mary had done. She had surrendered to Jesus, right? Jesus explained why Mary's use of the ointment was a good work. It was absolutely a good work. The problem did not rest in it being wrong to help the poor, and that's what, of course, was Judas' excuse. It simply was not the priority at the time. We have to prioritize things, right? We get requests all the time. We get requests all the time for. for mission help and, and Martin and, and Jeff and I will look at that we happen to be on the on that particular committee and we'll look at it and and uh, you know a lot of times it doesn't make it to the full men's meeting because it's not a priority we see things that we're already doing right now it's a priority and and so it doesn't make it to the full men's meeting not because it's not a good work it's just not a priority that's right? not something that that we feel like that, that uh, we want to uh, put the money in at the time, right? And so there are some good works. We might do it, look at it at another time, but it's not what we're wanting to accomplish right now. We, we've set those things, and, and so you know, there would never be a time when the opportunity to help the poor would not be available, and that's what Jesus said. The poor will always be with us, but how long was the Christ going to be among them? very short period of time. He was in fact on his way out, wasn't he? He was in the process of leaving. He wasn't going to be there much longer. The opportunity to honor Jesus prior to his death was almost gone. His death was, was about to pass. And so she did what was, what was necessary. Mary's complete surrender as a priority can be seen in her service to Jesus now John is careful to tell the readers here that she applied uh, the oil to Jesus' feet. When he was in the house of Simon the Pharisee, Jesus chastised his host saying, Thou gavest me no water for my feet, thou gavest me no kiss. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, Luke seven forty-four through 46. Precious and costly oil was usually for the head and water for the feet. See, that's usually what, what, the, what the deal was. You, you anointed a a, guest oil with, a head with oil, but Mary applied the perfume to Jesus' feet, and her surrender is not lost because the very act of washing another's feet was the act of humble submission. You know who usually did that? A common slave, or at least a lowly servant. At best, a child, right? A child did it. Uh, Thereby she acknowledged her submission and His greatness and superiority and her lowly position to Him. She loved and cared for Him and because of her priority, Jesus acknowledged His pleasure in her. His pleasure in her. He upheld her for what she had done. He said this, Mark 14 beginning with with verse 8, She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And it's being still told today. Almost 2,000 years later. We ought to honor this lady, right? And we are honoring her. During that time, certain people were anointed to demonstrate God's acceptance of them. we can go back to the Old Testament. Kings, prophets, they were all anointed because God said, I choose them. They are my people for this particular job. Priests were anointed. Of course, the dead were anointed. Today we see Jesus, all those things, and he had pleasure and does have pleasure in our obedience just as he had in Mary's. It's an amazing thing. Jesus expects us to surrender. She did what was needed. She did what was necessary. Would Jesus be able to say that about my life? You know, I want him to be able to say that. And I think we need to always be able to look into ourselves and say, you know, you're slipping up right here. You're making a mistake. You need to pay attention. You need to focus. Stop doing that. We all need to be able to do that. We all need to be able to do that. Before we can sacrifice and before we can serve, we first have to surrender. We first have to surrender. And we understand how to do that. We do that through the plan of salvation. Very simple. God doesn't expect us to be brain surgeons. He doesn't expect us to be able to to, uh, uh, have to work for NASA and create rockets. I don't even know if that's that's hard to do or not. I never tried it. But, you know, uh, you always hear that. You You have to be a rocket scientist. I'm sure it is difficult. I don't know that I could do it, but, you know, thankfully I don't have to be able to do that to be a Christian. All I have to know is I have to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I have to repent of my past sins. I have to be sorry for them. I have to change my life, turn to Him, confess that He is the Son of God. He walked out of the grave on the third day. He reigns over the kingdom as of right now. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne. I have to be immersed in water, have my sins washed away, rise up out of that water, Romans 6, 3 and 4, to walk in a new life, dedicate myself to Him, live faithfully. Once I have done that, And if I fall away, I become unfaithful. I have to ask Him to forgive me. I have to repent of those sins. I have to confess them to Him every single time. If I have done something of a public nature, I have to ask Him to forgive me, and I have to do it publicly before my brethren. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this hour, do that. As we stand and as we sing
0: Careless soul, why do you linger, wandering from?